Mindfulness Mode 230. I can just start thinking about the aroma of wine and instantly my body relaxes. You're listening to today's episode of Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks so much for joining us once again. If you're new, great to have you with us. Last time on Mindfulness Mode, sound healing. Did you know that vibrations of sound can actually heal you? Hear my guest Sharon Karn talk about her singing bowl collection and how she uses these amazing sounds from the bowls to end anxiety and pain in her clients. She can even do it remotely. Check out mindfulnessmode.com 229. Hey, it's Canada Day weekend here in Canada, and of course, 4th of July is just around the corner for my U.S. friends. My last guest, Sharon, and today's guest are both from Canada, my way of celebrating Canada's 150th birthday this weekend. Speaking of celebrating, help your child celebrate life by being more mindful. I've written an ebook called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day for 7 Minutes. Only 7 Minutes. Going through this book will be fun for you and your children, and I'm offering it to you, Mindful Tribe, as a free gift, a free download. Get it at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways, just 2-1 ways. Today, you'll think you've heard wrong. It's not mindfulness, but winefulness. My guest is a wine expert who uses his advanced knowledge of wine to share the message of winefulness, or of mindfulness, that is, thus coming up with the term winefulness. Stay tuned to hear fellow Canadian, like I said, Jordan Cowie, tell us how the experience of wine can be an experience in mindfulness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have Jordan Cowie with me today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, Jordan, are you in mindfulness mode? Absolutely, Bruce. That's great. Jordan Cowie is a fascinating person. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Jordan is a certified wine educator. He's a meditator and he's the co-founder of Be Wineful. <laughs> I love that. He's one of only about 400 people worldwide to achieve the designation of certified wine educator. As a result, he's taught at conferences and events across North America. There's also another side to Jordan's story. You see, for many years, he suffered from panic disorder and agoraphobia, which is a fear of going outside, leaving the house. To deal with this, he began meditating more than 10 years ago, and he's been studying mindfulness for seven years. His desire to combine his interest in mindfulness with his knowledge of the world of wine, has led him to create his brilliant system of winefulness. He's now dedicating himself to spreading his theories behind winefulness so the world will be filled with more happiness, more joy, and more relaxation. So, so Jordan, are you in mindfulness mode right now? Um, always, I think, at this point. It's just kind of my natural being... <laughs> It's, it's hard to do, but it's worth it. 
That's great. Well, I'm fascinated to go back in your story. When did you start realizing that you were suffering from anxiety? When did that start to be a major point in your life? It was, so I guess it would have been 2010. Uh, so quite literally seven years ago, that's what pushed me to take on uh, the mindfulness side of things. Basically, I had had trouble with anxiety for years, but I'd never put two and two together. I thought, oh, it was like heat stroke could happen in the summer or something like that. And then I just randomly started having this uncontrollable fear that I was having a heart attack. I get the like, palpitations and stuff and just out of nowhere, like, it would happen at work, it would happen at home, it would happen everywhere. And, you know, after a good 20 or so visits to the emergency room with nobody kind of filling me in, finally somebody stopped me and said, you know, this is anxiety. You don't have to worry. We can do something about this now. Um, and so that's really when it realized what was happening to me. So it was quite a terrifying ordeal at first and even for many years after that because it became so ingrained. It must have been. And did the doctors put you on meds? Um, initially at the emergency room, no, but I saw my family doctor um, after that and he just wanted to get under, under control. So um, he put me on Ativan just to kind of give me a bit of a sedative to bring me back down and get me not thinking I was dying basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then slowly over time, I managed to get help from there and kind of build up to a more stable day-to-day -day routine um, and then just kind of worked on it from there. Right, right. I see. So when was the point that you realized you could move to meditation and that could possibly be a help? It was... Really, I mean, I was grasping at straws for anything. I'm, it was every single day. I, you know, even on the good days, I'd leave the house and all of a sudden something would happen. I would just get terrified and have to go back home. And so, we were out. I was with my family. I kind of, I, I was moved back home, and we'd gone to Costco or something like that. And I saw a book on like mindfulness-based stress reduction. And at the point, I just thought, you know what, I'm doing it. Let's give it a try. Um, and at first, I was resistant because it's hard to build a like it's hard to build up a solid everyday practice. But over time, I just realized that it was making a complete difference in how I handled not just anxiety but everything in life. Right. And so, how old were you in 2010 when this first hit you? I would have been so 2010. I would have been 19 at the time. Right. Very young. So, what was life like for you in high school and school in general? Well, I guess the reason I'd never put two and two together, especially in high school, um, is because prior to that, I'd had a lot of trouble with cluster migraines and other things like that. So I always was missing a lot of school uh, due to illness. And that kind of went away. And when that went away, it was more obvious what was happening in the background, that you know a lot of this pain that I was feeling was probably being caused by the anxiety of being there, uh, the anxiety of all the stimulus around me and of everything happening. Uh, so high school was definitely difficult. I did fine with the people around me. I had great friends who cared about me. And even when like, I'd been sick for a few days, i go back in. Everybody was very caring. So I mean, it was a good high school experience for the most part. But I think it really clarified once I got to university what was happening to me. Right. So once you got to university, did it increase the amount of anxiety and stress? It just went in a different direction because the panic attacks had already started at this point. And so I tried to make my, I wanted my life to be normal. So I went to university, I continued on with my plans and then just being away from home and being away from my safe zone, it really impacted my mental state negatively for a while. Um, so I, like I said, I had to end up coming back home and coming to somewhere safe and just doing my best to get through it. 
So as you think back to some of your first memories as a young child, what comes to your mind? Happiness. Uh, I was never really an anxious kid growing up. I did everything. I had fun. I got hurt. I got injured. I did all sorts of the typical, I guess, the Canadian wildlife approach of, you know, heading out into a forest and falling down a ravine and getting back up at the end with a few bruises and just being like, I'm good. And you just continue on. Like it was, I was never an anxious child. So it was, that was a complete out of the blue thing. Right, right. It must have been really surprising later when you developed this. So what did you love to do most as a child besides hiking and getting out into nature? Um, I was this kind of weird mix of, I was really into programming. I was really into computers. Uh, and then I was also really into paintball. Paintball was a big one for me. Um, and fortunately, that's the one thing that never carried over into anxiety. That was always a safe zone. So I could always follow through with that. And how about if you ever had tests or exams that were timed? Did that timing factor ever cause anxiety for you? So I'm one of these strange people that loves tests and public speaking. So the thing that makes everybody else who normally isn't anxious anxious are like my happy place. I, I love writing exams. I love you know doing all these things that normally people make people anxious. But like normal everyday tasks are the ones that make me kind of freak out. So it's completely backwards. So you went to university. What did you study there? Uh, originally, I started with chemistry. And then so there was a few times, like a few false starts of me trying to make it work because you're always rejecting the anxiety at first. When these things first happen to you and they're so intense, you try and reject them. And so I started with chemistry. I was like, well, it was just the program I didn't like. So I tried chemical engineering thinking that would be a better fit. Um, and that didn't really fit. And so I, when I moved back here, I started studying winemaking and I decided I want to be a winemaker. So I did the smellier side of things. But there were a few false starts in between. Well, so winemaking, you didn't want to make wine. So when did you realize that you wanted to be involved in the wine industry from a sort of a training uh, point of view? So basically, it was a, luckily it happened very quickly. So when I first got into the industry... I moved back here and I was like, you know what, wine's really interesting. When I was living up in Toronto and I was having all the panic attacks and the agoraphobia, one of my only kind of cool outlets, I, I loved architecture, so I get out and see cool places. And one of the cool places happens to be one of the LCBOs. It's an old, early 1900s uh, train station that they've converted. Um, and so I used to go visit there. I saw all these wines. I was like, well, I'll take a few home and just, just try them out. That was like my first introduction to wine, really. And so I moved back to Niagara. I'm like, I'm going to work at a winery. It seems like fine. It'll be more relaxing. And luckily, my boss there saw my passion. And so whenever he couldn't go to an event, he would send me off to the event and, you know, things like that. And he was giving me more of like a sommelier type role. And he said, by the end of the year, he said, honestly, like, I think you might sometimes know more than me. Uh, and so it kind of gave me a lot of like confidence there of something like I'd been spending so much time without it. And so I applied for this job just doing tastings at a company. I ended up meeting with the president of the company. Um, cause he was just impressed by like the person who was interviewing him was really impressed. So brought me back in he said, look, like you want to do tastings for us, but you have a lot of wine knowledge and a lot of passion. Do you think we could convince you actually to come on and create the training materials for us? So quite literally I went from working a tasting bar to creating training materials for 180 person staff. And I just absolutely loved the job. Uh, and so that's what really made me realize that education is cool. Yeah, it really is. And so now do you have training products that you yourself use, like an online training program or something like that that you that you offer to people? 
I used to, so under, like, I used to have a company called Anosity where I used to do seminars and training and stuff like that. And, yeah, and that was why, so back then I used to kind of teach the traditional way. And so I used to have like uh, kind of tests and all that that taught people how to get online with, I guess, what the wine world wanted. But as I've been developing the winefulness side of things, I've just, I've been trying to push as far away from that traditional method of teaching wine as possible because it's so judgmental. It's so kind of materialistic in many ways. It's about producers and prestige instead of about people and places. So as of uh, June 29th, there's a four-week basic winefulness course coming out through uh, the Be Winful website. Uh, and that will, you know, people can just sign up and take it whenever they want. And that's my way of starting to teach. I mean, like I said, this whole Be Mindful thing has come together quicker than I expected. And so it's that's going to be my way of getting people introduced to this idea of learning about and teaching wine through a non-judgmental way. I see. And so what's the cost for this course, Jordan? Uh, because of the way I'm doing it, the first course is just free. It's oh, just okay. sign up, learn the basics, and then if you want to learn more, uh, we can go from there. But because it is such a different approach, I want people to be able to try it out first because meditating and especially when you've learned something in a very judgmental way to begin with, breaking that for some people, this have no interest. So I'd like to get them to try it and see for themselves. Right. That's fascinating. So the course teaches what? It teaches all about wine, but it also teaches about meditation and mindfulness. Is that correct? Yeah. So basically, it's uh, just like a four-week sampler of giving people little mindfulness exercises involving wine they can do each week over the course of four weeks to kind of build up their mindfulness practice and their winefulness practice, so tasting foods and wines and stuff like that. But in the process, learning a little bit about wine just so that they can feel a little bit more comfortable when the next time they do go to you know buy a bottle of wine or go to a restaurant. So just a very basic introduction for people, but letting people also build a mindfulness practice doing something that they can have fun with. Right. That's really fascinating. And so then you do live trainings as well. Is that right, Jordan? Yeah, so we've just launched, uh, again, we're following like a kind of open enrollment model because it's something new, so it's something that will kind of draw more people as we go along. But basically, we've created a five-week hybrid of mindfulness and wine course. So again, it's uh, based around the basics, so tasting and aroma and winemaking and viticulture, but we're also going to build upon the, the mindfulness as we go along and then people can kind of join in wherever they want. If they want to take one or two, they can do that. Uh, so that's also uh, started June 29th and it will run until uh, July 27th for the first batch. And we'll be starting another batch in the late summer, early fall. So it's every week. It's a, it's a live event that you can go to every week then. Is that right? Yeah. And where is that held, Jordan? So currently the first series we have happening right now uh, is in Niagara-on-the-Lake uh, here in Ontario. Uh, we're also, for the fall, we're planning on expanding to at least Toronto uh, and most likely uh, some other areas in southern Ontario just to kind of get our footing. And realistically, following that, I want to spread it as far as possible. So here in Ontario, Canada, there are a lot of wineries around Niagara-in-the-Lake. So that's a that's a great place niagara on the lake to be doing this isn't it because there's a lot of interest in wine around this area it was a great place especially to start because if i had started this idea somewhere else there would have been a lot more risk behind it for people and for myself and for the businesses that were hosting it whereas for a winery 
even if the seminar goes horribly, they're willing to take a chance because I'm still bringing them a bunch of people that can buy wine. So it made people willing to take a risk. And then, you know, people are already visiting the winery. So they, you know what, I'll check this out. And so it's made it a very symbiotic relationship for everybody. So are you associated then in doing this with one particular winery? No, that was something I very much wanted to avoid. Uh, so we're doing it with five different wineries this time around. And I want to move through wineries because when you become associated with a winery, you, you, you really have to play to what they do best and you lose out on some of the variety. So when you, what I found is that by playing the different topics at different wineries, I can fit the topic to the winery instead of fitting the winery to the topic. So I can serve everybody best by it. Cool. That's very interesting. So can you give us a little bit of insight here about how being interested in wine, tasting wine, enjoying wine daily can be part of a mindfulness practice? Well, basically, it can actually be meditated in its own way, but even just without the meditation, wine is this item where every single time, if you've had a brand before even, if you've had a specific wine before, every single time you open a bottle, it's a completely new item. So the whole beginner's mind is something that is very, very true with wine because it's just every single time you try it, it's going to be different. And then on top of that, it's a very intense sensory experience. There's so many things happening on, so I guess on the first, on the sensory level, you know, from taste and from aroma, there's so many things that you can pick up that people just ignore. Uh, so, I mean, that's one of the big areas. And then also within that, when you taste, when you smell, there's all these different physiological reactions that happen that people ignore as well. So there's so many layers of things that we take for granted when we just pick up a glass and we sip and we drink and we ignore it uh, that are happening in the background. Uh, like I just did a seminar and tasting through wines with people and asking them instead of looking for specific aromas just to do memories. And they were just like, wow. And all of a sudden they were coming like when you normally ask a group of people, what do they smell? And they just kind of go blank and say wine. And all of a sudden you have these people reminds my garage growing up and they're so you say to them well what was in your garage growing up and they list the fruits and you're like so do you smell those fruits and you're like yeah i do and they have like this breakthrough moment it's just really cool that is really cool so let's go through it let's imagine i've got a bottle of wine right here and i'm about to open the bottle of wine so can you can you walk me through this a little bit yeah i mean obviously it's going to be a more condensed version without the wine actually there sure of course but, the way I treat it is almost like a hybrid of a mindful eating meditation and a breath meditation. So you want to basically, you know, you've opened the bottle. I mean, you can actually incorporate that in the whole process. Cause I mean, especially if you have a natural cork and things like that. It can be a very methodical process, you know, with the corkscrew, just slowly just appreciate the entire process, you know, feel the cork. And then when you pour it, just let it pour in. And then basically what I like to start with is just picking up the glass Okay. Well, I do have a glass here. Okay. Here we go. Now, I've got my glass, so I've got I've got water in it now, but we can imagine this is wine. Water works the same way. I mean, you're you're taking the glass and you're kind of like letting the water roll around or I mean the wine if it's if it's wine, you're kind of just observing it, looking for anything you hadn't almost noticed before, so little details. So your your hand will kind of roll around, you'll see like, you know, little color changes. For example, people notice a lot of times at the rim of a wine it can be a different, completely different color than the actual wine itself. Like with a lot of red wines, the rim is completely clear. 
Um, and so it's kind of a neat little change. There's usually little textures to the glass, like where the stem meets the bowl, like just noticing these little textural things you hadn't before. And then the next thing I do is I have people, it's basically, like I said, a hybrid of a breathing meditation. They close their eyes and they just bring the wine up to their nose and they can just sit there and just breathing through their nose, smelling it. And so you're using the aroma as a point of focus instead of breath. So when he tells me to breathe, they do it normally autonomically. So if you say to, to breathe, they're just they're, they're breathing. So we ask them to breathe specifically. They go, oh, am I breathing right? Am I doing this wrong? And am I supposed to be breathing deeper, lighter, from like all this? Where if he tells me to smell something, they've probably done that yesterday. They saw a flower, picked up and smelled it type of thing. So he just tells me to bring a wine to their nose and sit there smelling it for a few minutes. They can do this just as a natural reaction to them. And so they sit there with their eye clo eyes closed, just slowly smelling it, just taking the aromas, processing what's happening in front of them. Uh, and then this usually takes, you know, several minutes at this point. Uh, and then you'll have them taste and you'll have them kind of the urge with wine is, again, as soon as you taste, it's the urge to kind of swallow it. And so you have them fight that urge to swallow and just experience the feeling of the wine in their mouth and how their body's reacting to it. And then they, after a little while, they can swallow it. And then you kind of have them kind of repeat that process. So it's kind of fighting impulses a little bit. It's, you know, taking it to the so you can actually take in the experience. Um, and again, with that particular thing, I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, Riesling is a great example of this, where it's kind of sweet, kind of dry, it's a bit of everything. And then they'll say, like, you know, after the meditation, like, I, because I actually had to take it in, my initial reaction was to hate it because of the sweetness. But then they're like, I could start to see the benefit of it. And like, I was fighting myself inside. And so they're noticing the internal dialogue for the first time. Uh, so it's really just taking them, like, normally I draw, I, it's about, 15 minutes for a one to two ounce pour of wine and it's just it's all about breathing and tasting and just taking in the experience and so if you were doing this with a partner another person or even a room full of people how does that add to the experience well i mean it brings them into meditation for a lot of people it brings them into meditation for the first time um or it brings them into meditation in general so i mean pure act of getting of helping somebody meditate is wonderful um and it lets them do it in a way they can understand it's not this kind of kind of conceptual form of meditation with you know mantras or even just you know focusing on a concept like breath it's focusing on something concrete so we introduced them to that but also it helps them experience something intense for the first time you know even with food with mindful eating meditations and stuff you taste it but you're like wow i've experienced was normally like you just drink, you just eat, you just don't really pay attention to what you're doing. So I, I feel like it adds a very special component even to a normal wine course of just helping people notice all these things that they thought they weren't capable of. Yeah, well, I find this fascinating. And I can see how this could be done with, like you say, with water or with any drink or, or with beer. For example, when I had Justin Crosley on the show, and that was episode 80, and he talked about beer. And I thought at the time, you know, this could apply to wine or this could apply to something else. And if you're listening to this and you want to check back at the episode, it's mindfulnessmode.com slash 80. So you can check out Justin's episode. But I really find this this interesting. Now, let's talk for a second and transition. What are the downsides? I mean, people will say, oh, you know, like wine can be so addictive. You know, people can get to the point where they can't control how much wine they take in and this kind of thing. So what do you say to that? I'm very cautious in how I teach it. So 
there is that's a big thing and also within the meditation community within like the buddhist side of things there are a lot of people who interpret certain teachings as saying that uh my that wine alters the mind in a negative way and so yes there is that argument to be made but if you're careful about it mindfulness itself can be taught with an impulse control side to it so it can actually be used to teach addiction you know to treat people with addiction and things like that so you have to be very careful like when i teach these courses i'm very careful not to treat the wine as the solution like making sure that people realize that the wine isn't what's making you feel better the wine's just a tool to get into meditation so i'm very cautious about the amount of wine and clarifying that it's not about drinking it's about a sensory experience I'm really glad you said that, yeah, because you had anxiety, and you've you still, I guess, experience that sometimes. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, it happens occasionally, randomly. I'll be out, and all of a sudden, it'll just kick back in for no reason. It's just I can overcome it quicker now through meditation. Right, and the wine helps you into that state of meditation. Then, essentially, I mean, it's at the point where I'm basically using the the wine as a way of teaching meditation or as a way of triggering a meditative state. Because once you've done something many times or once you've even pictured something many times, it was a positive reaction. You can trigger that in your body with that reference point. So that's where having a sensory meditation helps. It helps you just kind of set your body ready for meditation. Uh, so quite literally at this point, I can just start thinking about the aroma of wine and instantly my body relaxes. Uh, so it's just creating a trigger for a meditative state. Right. I like that. Jordan, you're not alone in this. You have a partner in your business. Can you tell us about your partner and the role your partner plays? Yeah. So, I mean, Natalie came into the mindfulness side of things about a year ago. I mean, if it hadn't been for her, I probably wouldn't be teaching it right now. Uh, I used it occasionally to teach other people. I'd been thinking about doing something with it, but she has said, like, why don't you start teaching a class? Why don't you start doing events and stuff? And I was like, oh, that could work. And so we started working on it. Um, so, I mean, as of right now, she's more, she has more of the business side. I do more of the classroom and the kind of mindfulness side of things. She's learning a lot about, well, she's been in the wine industry about a year now as well. Um, so she's learning a lot about wine and a lot about mindfulness. It's stuff that she's learned in the past through music, but I guess in the music world, they don't always apply the same terms to it. It's just stuff they do intrinsically. So as far as the, the way they approach their practice and the way they approach things like stage fright or, you know, performance anxiety. Um, they're all very mindful processes. So adapting to mindfulness has been easy for her. It's just been learning the differences. Uh, so she's almost the kind of the built-in beginner's mind for the business. Uh, she can stop and say, like, look, you're getting too complicated. Simplify this. Um, and that's very good to have because she understands the concepts, but she also understands it from an outsider's point of view, which is a, a very useful uh, point of view to have. Uh, and then from the business side, whereas I have a lot of anxieties and a lot of difficulties with people, I don't um, always connect as well um, with people. Um, she's the type of person that connects very, very well. So we complement each other quite well in this. Uh, so it's been a, a good find as far as making this happen. So Jordan, what's the science behind this? Is there science that that tells us, hey, this is this is a great combination, wine and mindfulness? What is the science? Well, it's a mix of things. So I mean, the sensory side of meditation is very important. Uh, so as far as mindfulness meditation and its ability to help many things, um, that's 
been widely spread. So I mean, as far as anxiety, as far as stress, as far as depression, um, mindfulness fits there. Now, the one thing that has been noted in the past, especially for people with attention deficit disorder, which is one of me, uh, hence why I kind of get distracted easily and all this, typical breath focus and things like that doesn't always work well. They get distracted very easily and they get frustrated. So having another method into the meditation is very useful for them. So I mean, obviously in a clinical environment, they're not going to be using wine. They're going to be trying to come up with other systems. But for somebody who needs a stimulus that's intense to keep them on track, that's a wonderful side. The other side of it is wine, from, I guess, a science point of view for the meditation itself, Obviously, a slight bit of alcohol does allow people to loosen up a little bit, allows people to be open to new ideas, allows people to accept something different. Um, it puts people into a very happy and relaxed mode for the most part to begin with. But the other cool side about wine from, a, like from I guess, a wine science point of view is it's one of the only fruits where when you ferment it, the complex sugars and the complex uh, organic compounds, they break in, they break down into things that smell like other things. So when you ferment, say you make a blueberry wine or a peach wine, they smell exactly like blueberries or peaches. But because of the way yeast evolved, it can actually break down some of the other more complex components of wine. And so when you pick up a wine, there can be hundreds of different aromas emanating from that glass. And so you're giving somebody something in front of them where there's so many possible reactions and there's so many things in front of them that it forces them to open up to the stimulus. So if you just give them one aroma, they smell it and they're done, their brain can shut off. Where you have them sit there with a wine like up to their nose and they're smelling it, Every if they just sit there with it, it's constantly changing. That wine is constantly changing. There's constantly new things happening in their brain. It's triggering new memories, triggering new emotions. So that's what really pushed me to do it with wine. It's just, it's you, you can sit there for 15 minutes and your brain will always have a new stimulus. Uh, and that's the important thing for me. I've noticed that about wine. I, I, I can drink it and, and think, what is it that this reminds me of? And I just keep kind of thinking about different things, different flavors, or like you say, different fruits, whatever. Because then every time I take a sip, I think, okay, that's something else. So I hear what you're saying. That's that's fascinating. Now, I want to transition into five quick answer questions. So sure. if you could just give us some like really quick answers to these. The first one is this, who is one person who influenced you into mindfulness? I know you said you picked that book up in Costco, but is there a person connected with this interest in mindfulness? For me, it worked backwards. So, I mean, the book came first for many years and then uh, meditation came later. It was actually probably my uh, therapist that kind of pushed me over the edge to the mindfulness thing, at least. So, uh, Steve Abma, he, uh, basically pushed me in the direction of trying something a bit different. It was it, that would work for me. And he pushed me to create uh, wine, like mindfulness accidentally. I don't think he even knows it yet, but he did. Very interesting. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jordan? I've become much calmer, much less reactive. Uh, so I don't experience anger. Don't really, well, I do occasionally, but it takes a lot. Uh, but I mean, I don't experience much anger. I don't experience many extreme emotions. I'm just always pleasant and happy. Well, that's great. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. You touched on it a bit. I'd like to hear more. Uh, breathing is essential. I mean, it's no matter what you do, you're always breathing. So you always have your breath with you. 
So if I'm in an environment where I start to get worked up or start to get stressed out, I can always come back to my breath and I can just shut out everything around me and just focus in on the breath coming in and out of my nose. Um, and it, I can meditate in the middle of a crowded building at this point. I can sit down on a bench in the middle of like the casino here. I was, uh, we went for dinner the one night and I freaked out, just sat down on the bench in the middle of all these people and just was able to go into meditation. And that's because I have the breath. That's great. That's great. So if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? That first one you picked up at Costco or, or another one? Um, it's uh, Finding Peace in a Frantic World. I can find the exact title for you. It's, okay, uh, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like an eight-week course uh, to mindfulness meditation. Uh, so it's uh, basically... It's based on mindfulness-based uh, cognitive therapy, so it's uh, a slightly easier approach to mindfulness than a lot of them. So, I mean, I found this one most recently, uh, whereas originally like, I read the one by John Cabot in uh, Full Catastrophe Living. Yes. So that's like a 600-page monster that um, can be – it can be a dense read. Uh, but yeah, it's called Finding Peace in a Frantic World by uh, Danny Penman and Mark Williams. Uh, so it's a very easy read. It's like 200 pages and it's just a much simpler approach. Great. Well, thanks for that recommendation. And like I say, I will put it in the show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And so tell us this, is there an app that you could recommend which is connected to mindfulness? I love Headspace. Uh, for me... Headspace is what always, when I'm having difficulty with meditation, when I'm having uh, difficulty following through on a practice, it's just a consistent friend that's there. You know, it has a very simple approach to it, Ten, like basically 10 sessions for the beginner side of things, and obviously there's more advanced ones uh, later on. But it's just pleasant and informative, and that's the one for me. That's great. That is great. Well, you've really given us some terrific insight into how to deal with anxiety. And, you know, I think this course that you're, that you're uh, introducing to the public through your website is going to be very powerful. So can you share again a little bit more about how we can get that course and how we can learn more about what you do? Yeah, so it'll be uh, listed on bewindful.com. Um, you'll just sign up. And basically, uh, I'm going to deliver it through email because what I've noticed myself when I've, I did a yoga uh, course the same way, like I participated in one, is having those you know daily or weekly emails to kind of remind you, bring you back to it. Or you just register for a course online. It's easy just not to go back to the website. So yeah, just uh, sign up. And as of the day you sign up, you'll start receiving uh, an email uh, every couple of days just to remind you and give you homework and little exercises with mindfulness. Um, and that's... Basically, my goal is to help people learn the technique before they need it. You know, after you've already developed anxiety or panic attacks, it takes longer. But if you can learn it first, it's better. Be proactive. Yeah. So bewindful.com. And do you have a social media presence, Jordan? Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook and Twitter. So both of them are bewindful. Um Okay, that's easy. That's easy. Well, it's been really great talking with you, and I'm fascinated to sign up myself for this course as well. So Mindful Tribe, check it out. It's, uh, it's a great way to just relax and, and learn how to be a little bit more mindful through the use of wine. So Jordan, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. 
Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. All the best to you. Yeah, and uh, all the best to you as well. I hope the podcast continues on successfully for many more years. Thanks so much, Jordan. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.